It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Trey. Thank you for joining us for another Tuesdays with Trey. I had today's guest on our TV show recently, and I'm going to introduce him pretty much the same way, which is like this. I tried really, really hard uh, not to pull for him. Um, He ran over our cornerbacks. He ran over our safeties. He ran over our linebackers because he's bigger than South Carolina's linebackers. He led Florida to national championships. He won the Heisman Trophy. None of which really bothered me, but he beat the daylights out of my beloved South Carolina Gamecocks, and that's kind of a relationship breaker for me. So I really did not want to pull for him. And then when you watch him interviewed or you see him on the SEC channel, he's so modest. He deflects praise and attention away from himself and on to other people. He's grounded. He's centered. He seems to have an appreciation for the bigger issues in life. So I reluctantly have found myself (laughs) pulling for him. And thank you, Tim Tebow, for joining us again. How are you? I'm doing good. But one thing I cannot do, I cannot pull off pink as good as you can right now. (laughs) Most people uh, would not try to pull off, but you can get your hair to flip up a little bit, which I am envious of. I don't not quite as much as you, though. You got a you got a solid flip going. It's a toupee, and I'm happy to send you the name of the company I use <laughs> if, uh, if and when you ever get to that point in life. All right, when did you realize? You know, I'm pretty good at sports. I mean, not like good for elementary school or junior high and not good for like church teams, but I'm pretty good at sports. When did you figure that out? Um, I don't mean to come across uh, arrogant, but my first game I ever had a chance to play uh, my, my in any sport, it was, I was um, at Normandy baseball park and the West side of Jacksonville. We just moved back from the Philippines because my parents are missionaries and I was about to turn five years old. I showed up at the game, and I thought, Trey, it was a freaking World Series. I was so competitive. I was so ready to go. And I had four older siblings that were three, six, nine, and 12 years older than me. And so for the first five years of my life, that's all I competed against was older kids. And so I show up to this game, and I just think it's everything. And I remember our, our coach, he, he gathers us together, and he says, okay, guys, now it's, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose. It's only about having fun. And my first thought was, is this what America is about? Because it sucks. And it was literally like my first week in America. And uh, I yank on his shirt, and I say, no, coach, you're wrong. It, it's, it, it's only about winning. That's when you have fun. And uh, he, he, like, looks at me like, who is this kid? And he's like, you wait right here. And then he, like, goes over and talks to my dad. And I was so afraid I was going to get in trouble. But my dad's like, don't worry about it. He just doesn't understand competition. And, uh, and so I was mortified that game because, like, they would hit the ball in the outfield. And, like, are, are, I'm not exaggerating you. 
our through all three of our outfielders were huddled together looking for four leaf clovers oh, and i was like oh my gosh and kids were focused on what color snow cone they wanted and all i could think about was i, I, I like i'm not going to be able to survive if we lose the game and so i literally went sprinting all over the field to get the ball and then you throw it to first and kid can't catch and so I'm like okay I'll do whatever I got to do to win so I'm going to get the ball taking it from my teammates and running to tag other kids out and um and so I just realized at an early age that I was way more competitive than everybody else and it just it just meant more to me than everybody else and um and my parents saw that too but they also saw that it could creep in a lot of arrogance and that was on a Saturday afternoon and the next day on Sunday we go to church, and I wanted to tell everybody how I did. Hey, guess what? I hit this many home runs. I got this many hits. And so my parents instilled a rule for me and all my siblings that before we played any sporting activity, we would have to memorize a scripture verse on humility. And so for every game I had to play, I got to play, they knew I had to memorize another scripture verse. And uh, so that's how my sporting career started. Oh, my heavens. Uh <laughs> So have you memorized the entire Bible? Because you've actually won a lot. So that's a lot of verses. No, I, I haven't. But it's, um, it, it, it's, it, you know, it's something that at the time I thought it was, I was so upset. Mom, Dad, why would you make me do this? I'm so grateful now um, that they did that because it helped put everything into perspective. Not just because it's the right thing to do, but, you know, when, you, when you're so competitive, Sometimes it can become the world and not just a game. And I'm so grateful, even for the highs and lows that I've had the chance to go through in sports and careers of, you know, same year being voted most popular athlete in America and being cut, right? And it, it, <laughs> helps, it helps you balance all of this, right? And, and I'm so grateful I don't have to live the roller coaster the rest of the world wants to live of my life in sports because my identity doesn't come from what the world says about me in a game or my identity doesn't come from uh, what success, what you're supposed to chase after in success. And, and too much of my life, I have done some of that. But, um, you know, when your identity is focused on something so much more important on your identity of who God says about you, I don't have to live that roller coaster. And I'm so grateful for that. You mentioned humility. You know a lot more about the Bible than I do. But I think Jesus really only used a couple of words to describe himself. And one time he referred to himself as being low in spirit, which uh, is akin to humility. So that is probably a good characteristic to, to shoot for. So let me ask you this. All right. Marcus Lattimore was maybe my favorite college player because one of, one of mine too. One of mine too. Two knee injuries that probably cost him a career in the pros. No doubt. So you got Lattimore, who you know got drafted by the 49ers but never played. You got Tom Brady, who's, what, 50-something years old and still playing. Most people are somewhere in the middle. How do you, how do you react? Your entire college career was spent on national television. You've been in the national news, baseball, football – but there always comes a moment when, when the crowd is cheering for someone else. Yeah. That your time or your season as an athlete is gone. How do you react to that? How, how do you get through the rest of life? Uh, because it's different. 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's um, being grounded in your faith and humility and the purpose in your life that you don't get identity or fulfillment from platform praise or promotion, but you get fulfillment from um, meaning, significance, and purpose. And there is a big difference. And so much of the world and society is going to tell you that fulfillment comes from praise, platform, and promotion. And, and, and we do get sparks of that, right? And it does feel good for a time. But eventually the praise stops. Eventually the platform starts to diminish. And, you know, one of the things I'm so, so grateful for is having people around me that has, have helped try to give me perspective to not seek after those things. If you get them, great. Use them for good. But more importantly, let's chase after the calling, the purpose, and the significant things of life. And, and you know, Trey, it's been um, really sad to me seeing a lot of statistics over the last couple of years. You know, we have two-thirds of our 18 to 34-year-olds say that there's no one in the world that believes in them. One-third of people say that um, they're lonely most of the time or all the time. Uh, 12% of our daily thoughts are spent in some form of comparison. And just 2020 alone, um, between 10 and 24 years of age, there was over 6,000 suicides, right? And where, where is that coming from? Why is, the, why is that coming? That's not just um, little instances here or there. Those are huge numbers. Those are, that's, that, that is our society. And I think it, so much of it is based in, 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 in saying meaning and success and significance is having status. It's having platform. It's having praise. It's looking like this person on Instagram. It's having this many followers on Facebook. It is reaching all of these things. And if you don't have that, then you're not worthy. And I don't think that's the case. I think everybody has significant worth and value from the creator of this universe. And I want to encourage people that it is not about having to be like somebody else because instantly when we say we need to be like somebody else, we're not confident in who God made us to be. We're not confident in our own skin. And people say that you need to be confident in your own skin. Well, it doesn't come from looking outside and comparing yourself to other people. When we spent 12% of our daily thoughts in some form of comparison, that means we are trying to be like other people, right? And there's nothing wrong with role models, but it is wrong when I am when the majority of my thoughts are spent in some form of of envy, bitterness, of wanting to be like somebody else. We need to understand that God made us one of one, in love, by love, and for love. That there's no duplicates, there's no oops. God didn't say oops when he made you. You are valuable, you are worthy, you are loved just the way you are. Now you don't have to be like anybody else. God wants you to be the best version of you. And when you under, understand that, it gives you confidence. It gives you this feeling, I don't have to chase those other things. You know, one of the things that I mentioned in Mission Possible is I go to the Cowboys facility a couple years ago, and I'm in a great place when I show up, and I'm there to speak for an awesome organization to encourage and inspire people to do good things. And they give me a tour beforehand and, and I, I, of the Cowboys facility, and I walk in, and I'm like, holy crap, this thing is awesome and and then I see their their weight room for their fans not even for their players and their weight room for their fans is better than any other way I've been in my entire life and I'm like this is amazing and you know what happens I start to get bitter I start to get envious I start to get jealous 
because I'm thinking like, dang God, why couldn't I play in a place like this? Why couldn't I have the chance to do this? Like I could do this. I would, I would work so hard. I would kill it. I would crush it here. And what happens is, is I, I start to focus on the things I don't have rather than to be grateful for the things that I do have. And it didn't change until later that night when I got in the room and I start to focus on other people and I start to say, God, I'm grateful for the things that I do have. And one of the things we talk about is being grateful. There's a study at the University of Miami that I talk about that in one of the, the, the test groups, they write down one thing every day that they're grateful for. And at the end of the study, they have a, they have a, a chemical, uh, a biological chemical response uh, for the better at the end of it than every other group just by writing down one thing every day that they're grateful for. You see, gratefulness is actually something that can change us from the inside out. The same thing with the helper's high we talk about. Actually, when you give and when you serve and when you help other people, you also have a chemical response for the better from the inside out. And I just believe that that those are two things that um, reaffirm that, you know, it's not only the right thing, it's actually the best thing for you. You see, we want to be like other, uh, so many times be like other people. When I want to encourage, no, be the best version of who God created you to be. Sit tight. We'll have more of this interview after this. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. All right, Tim, you, you mentioned kind of the, the state of the soul of our country, particularly young people and the fact that they get gratification or validation or ratification from others. And sometimes even from strangers, there was this, this is what I want to ask you. There was this book I read. I've read it several times, Billy Budd by Herman Melville. It's incredibly boring, but I like it. Billy Budd was almost perfect. And some people resented him for that. And here we are Easter week where Jesus lost a voice vote to a guy named Barabbas. Yep. So the son of God loses a voice vote. Just for Yeah. So when I, I, I full well believe you do not get any of your value from what people who don't know you think about you, but it is hard to tune it all out. So I I haven't seen a lot of criticism of you and, and, and when I do, I just figure it's jealousy because they couldn't play two sports on a professional level. But how do you block out? For young people who care what people who don't know them think, how does Tim Tebow say, you know what? It doesn't impact me. I have a louder voice. And, you know, we have to focus on what voice you're speaking into us. It goes back to the Cherokee Nation when they say, you know, the elder is talking about there's a wolf on each shoulder and the, and the, the young boy says, hey, well, w- which one's going to win? And he says, the one that you feed is going to win. And if the world is loud, then we need to have truth louder. And this is uh, you know, something that I started doing when I was at the University of Florida is I, I, we would, for every game, we would drive up and we would get off the bus and there would be, you know, for average games, 10, 15,000 people that would greet us. For big games, 30, 40,000 people that would greet us before the game on the Gator Walk. And man, it was, it was a sur- surreal at first and cool, but you know, there was all of these feelings that would, would grip you, right? Uh, so many kids that would be wearing your jersey and what would happen is you could get this feeling like, 
dang, I've kind of made it. But then you would also see these parents that would say, um, you know, you're such a role model to our son. And then I would have a, another feeling of guilt like, no, ma'am, if you knew me on, on my worst day, you wouldn't want your son to look up to me. If you knew my worst thoughts, you wouldn't want your son to look up to me. And so, uh, and, and there was all of, and then there was the feeling of pressure and the whole world's watching and criticism and doubt and praise and all of this back and forth. And so I started working on things that could practically help me with this, you know. And so one of the things I started listening to was a song by Casting Crowns called The Voice of Truth. And I would put it on and I would walk through there. And, and this song says, The Voice of Truth. Uh, tells me a different story. The voice of truth says, do not be afraid. The voice of truth says, this is for my glory. Out of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. You know, and what is the voice of truth? It is God's voice. It is God's word. It is it is God's love for humanity. It is God's, you know, um, his letter to us, which is the Bible. And so I wanted to, when all these voices are saying, you're good, or you suck, or, or you're a good person, or we hate you, or, you know, whatever. It's all of the, the above is saying, you know what? It's none of those things. I'm going to listen to, you know, the voice of truth, and that's what I'm going to put in. And right now, gosh, I just saw a study the other day that said, um, in one of the groups of young people that they've gotten up to 7.7 hours uh, um, on some sort of digital device every day. And I'm like, what in the world? 7.7 hours? What are you putting into your body right now? What are you putting into your brain? Like, you know, maybe it's some good podcast or something, but probably not. Man, it's just like, but, you know, and, and so I think it's what are we filling ourselves with? Hey, if there's a lot of negative voices, then you know what? We need to have good people stand up and have the positive voices to encourage people, inspire people, believe in people, love people, help people, assure people of their worth, of who they were created to be. And so that's where I really focus. Okay, you know what? I can't, I can't block all of it out. People say that, but it's really hard, right? I'm not, not going to turn on ESPN, right? I'm not, you, you can't funnel everything. But I can have other voices that are going to speak louder, that are going to speak truth, that are going to speak God's word, and to speak it loudly. So I'm absorbing that. So that's the wolf that's going to be loudest. You raise such a good point. It is impossible to go through life and never hear any of the other voices. But you can choose how, how loud the volume is. Right. And why you would go actively looking for those voices. I mean, I, I had colleagues that would sit on the floor of the house and stroll through, scroll through their Facebook. So you've got people who've never met you, know nothing about you, um, offering some insight into who you are. And I just, why we would care what people who've never met us and don't know us think about us, I I feel sorry for young people that have not figured that out yet. But, but Trey, but but I, I'm one of those people. I instinctively, naturally care what other people think about me. I instinctively am a people pleaser by nature. And it's really hard, and I have to work hard to overcome that. Uh, when I was my, a freshman at the University of Florida, uh, and I started getting scrutinized on a, on a whole other level, uh, I... You know, and people would just write disparaging things. And I remember going to my dad and saying, Dad, if they just met me, if they knew me, if they talked to me, Dad, they would like me. And my dad said, Timmy, they would because you're likable. But honestly, some people don't want to get to know you because they don't want to like you, Timmy. And 
That was also a time when I was reading a book about Winston Churchill and a time in his life when the majority of the world disliked him because the Allies thought he was going to lose the war by making bad decisions. And obviously everybody else was on the other side. So there's he was just getting crushed. And it's a, um, um, Winston Churchill says, if you have enemies, good. It means you stood for something at least once in your life. And I just remember thinking, how could it be good to have enemies? And I, and I wrestled with this. And it was something that I, I, I started to learn more and more of like, wow, it is better to it is better to stand for something and have some people dislike you than stand for nothing and have everybody like you because the ultimate goal shouldn't be liked. You see, I think that's one of the, the problems is that being liked is can be everything when it's not everything. You know, what would happen, Trey, if we switched the like button on all social medias? If we switched it to respect, how many people would click it? You see, that was a change in my in my heart and in my head of saying, you know what, I can't, I, I can't go through my whole life wanting everybody to like me, even though instinctively my nature wants that. And I had to make this choice in my head and my heart to say, I would rather have people respect me, even if they don't like me, because you can dislike each other to a certain extent and still respect each other. And so I, and it's also harder to get. Respect is harder to get than likes are, you know, because respect comes through time and through diligence and through trust and through character. But likes just, oh, we agree on something. I'll like you, you know. And so I made this switch in my brain to try to want to to live a life to try to earn people's respect, whether they liked me or not. And I also think that we get likes confused with love. Like and love are not the same thing, and we think, well, love is just a little bit more of like. It's not the case. In the Greek, there are four types of love, and the most admirable form of love is agape. And agape, the best definition of agape is to choose the best interest of another person and act on their behalf. That has nothing to do with likes. You see, when we want to impact this world and impact our community and impact the people around us, it's not, it's not going to have anything to do with Oh, we like them or we have something in common with them or, oh, you know, they like the same team as us or, you know, they have the same background or they have the same faith or they're the same color or they're the same religion or they're the same ethnicity. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do. No, the greatest form of love is sacrificial. It is a choice. And I'm going to choose the best interest of other people and act on their behalf, whether I like them or not, whether I agree with them or not. But we can make that choice. And I think what happens so much is like, Oh, well, I think that love is when I, I like some person a lot and, and we agree on something. No. You see, when we're going to impact our society right now, we're going to go out there, whether we like people or not, we're going to choose their best interests. We're going to act on their behalf because we truly love them. Tim, I think you put your finger on one of the most liberating points uh, in a person's life. When you reach that day where you are willing to trade being liked, the temporalness of being liked for being respected, it's hard. I, I get it. I've got two kids in their 20s. I don't know when I learned it. I think what did help me learn it, though, was trying to figure out the son of God lost a voice vote to a criminal. So, I mean, so when you're sitting there thinking, well, how could this happen to me? How could somebody not like Tim Tebow? How in the world could somebody not understand my motives are pure? The guy lost a vote to Barabbas. So if it can happen to him, it can happen to me. Um, and he went on to change the 
course of history. All right, I want to. I, I want some people look at Ukraine and they. But Trey, that, but Trey, that's also with Barabbas. That that is also. I mean that that story is one of my favorite stories of the Bible because it it shares the significance of what Jesus did for us. Is every one of us is Barabbas and Jesus? The Bible says is our ransom paid the price. And there is such a seriousness to him taking our place. And, you know, the story that we're going to celebrate in Easter is not a story. It's the reality of what happened over 2,000 years ago when that was, I should have been on that cross. My sin should have nailed me, but Jesus said, I'll take the place. Barabbas, I'm going to take your place. Timmy, I'm going to take your place. And for every single one of us, he took our place. And the, the seriousness of that is that that was me. And Jesus said, I love you so much. I'll take your place. All right. You can't, you can't pick Easter. So what is your favorite story in the Bible? But you can't pick Easter because that one, that one's too obvious. And you've already said how much you love it. What's a story in the Bible that you draw inspiration from? Um, John 16, 33. It's around Easter. It would, it would be uh, the night before Jesus went to the cross. And he tells his disciples in the upper room, um, and, and, and they just, they don't get it a lot like me in my life. I don't, you know, don't always get it, but he looks at them and it says, for in me, you have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And what's crazy to that, he ha- hasn't gone to the cross yet, but he says it in the past tense in in a perfect tense. Um, actually in the Greek, there are multiple past tenses, but he says it in the perfect tense, meaning that the results of what he's going to do are permanent, continuous, and never changing. So he tells his disciples that he has overcome the world, even though he hasn't gone to the cross yet, with such certainty, he uses a past tense that means what he's going to do is permanent, continuous, and never changing. And and, and he, he reminds us, in him is the only place we have peace. In the world, we're going to have trials and tribulation. But we can take heart. Why? Because we remember he overcame the world. That's one of my favorite passages. Wait right there. We'll have more next. All right. I want to ask you about Ukraine, not the geopolitical. When people hear Ukraine, they think a war. They think Russia. They think geopolitical conflict. They think NATO. When you look at Ukraine, you see something different. You see people in need, right? That hurting people, which is what we're, we're called to, and I know it's, it's what I'm called to, and and I just I'll tell you, it is. I've been so inspired by so many people on the ground there. So many of our partners. Um, we just got um, uh, more people in, literally uh, within the last 24 hours, to be able to go and help more. And and they they the stories are crazy. I mean, it's just um, the the heroism, the courage, the uh, I mean, people going back in, um, you know, so, um, some different people we've had the chance to support and work with been getting shot at different times. You know, our team that just went in, you know, we had to bring extra bulletproof vests for, for uh, more of our partners to put on. And these aren't these aren't all people that are military trained. These are people getting in to serve, to help, to bring out orphans, to bring out surrogate babies, to bring out um, special needs, to, to bring out um, old folks that had been left in, and they don't have a wheelchair, so nobody would carry them. And, um, you know, unfortunately, just a couple of days ago, one of the babies that we were able to, to help bring out passed away. Um, you know, it's just, it's hard. There's just a, a lot of, 
There's a lot of pain and suffering. And, um, and I'm so grateful for so many people that have stepped up to want to help in a, in a time of need. Um, and, and I feel like it is our job and it is a responsibility when people are suffering to be able to love them and support them and do what we can to help. All right, I want to ask you about, I want to ask you a couple more questions because I know you got to go. It sounds like you're trying to change the world and I do not want to get in the way of you trying to change <laughs> the world. There was a young woman who worked with me in Washington. She actually still works with me. Her name is Mary Langston. She's got her own podcast, but she went to this night out when she was working for me. And I, I, I really didn't know a lot about it. And she kept saying it was Tim Tebow's thing. It's Tim Tebow's thing. She went to a prom. Night to shine. Right. Night to shine. She went to a prom with the luckiest little fella in the world because he got to have her as his date for the prom. And I looked at the pictures and it kind of connected with me. You have a heart for special needs, yes, children and adults. So where did that come from? Well, uh, I met a boy in the jungles of the Philippines uh, when I was 15 years old who was born with his feet on backwards. And because of that, he was viewed as cursed and he was a throwaway to his village. And uh, I knew that day that he wasn't a throwaway to God. And I felt like God was putting on my heart that he better not be a throwaway to me. And I knew that day that my calling was bigger than any game that I could ever play. And it was to fight for boys and girls like him around the world. And, um, and so now we're fortunate to do that in 73 countries to fight for the thrown throwaways, to fight for the abandoned, to fight for the special need, to fight for the traffic, to, um, to fight for those that nobody else is fighting for. And um, that our mission statement is to bring faith, hope, and love to those needing a brighter day in their darkest hour of need. But to really sum it up, Trey, it's to fight for those that can't fight for themselves. That is what we have been called to. And, um, you know, also the way our, our team talks about it is we're called to, to darkness, to chaos, and to crisis. We're called to people's hardest days. And we're, you know, there's a lot of people that want to show up on, on their best days. There's a lot of people want to show up on celebrations. You know, that's fine. That's, that's not what we're called to. We're called to the hardest days. We're called to the hardest places. And, and that's where we want to be. And that's where I, where I want to spend the rest of my life. All right. People that have a like mind to yours, they want to help people that have been marginalized. How can they partner with you? How can they join your ministry? Um, they can check out tempiofoundation.org. Um, but, but I wouldn't say it's something that they have to partner with us. I would just say to those that want to be involved, get involved with something. If you want it to be with us, then come join us in, in this fight and this mission. But just do something. Step in. Step into the ministry because there's someone that needs you. There's someone that's waiting on you to answer the call because you have the ability and the chance to affect someone's life. And, and, and you know what? I've been so encouraged by so many of the people that have risen up you know, in Af through Afghanistan, what happened there, and the Ukraine. But you know what's also disappointing is when the cameras left Afghanistan, how many people left Afghanistan, you know? And, and that, can't be, that can't be us. It can't be our ministry, and it can't be so many other ministries, and it can't be those that are watching. It isn't where the cameras go. It is where we're called to go, and there's a big difference. You know, there's a big – there was so many nonprofits in Afghanistan six months ago, and now there's a handful, you know, and – and so I just want to encourage people that you step into it, but don't step into it for the tax deduction. Don't step into it for the credit. Step into it because it's the right thing to do. Step into it because you're called. Step into it because it's a mission that you want to join. All right. I've kept you longer than I said I would. I won't <laughs> let you go, but I'm going to ask you three what I hope will be fun questions because we have talked about it. 
some of the weightiest issues in the world. And I love that, but I want to, I want to send you on your day, uh, <laughs> at least maybe laughing. Have you ever met Nick Saban and have you ever seen him smile? I have met Nick Saban. He beat me uh, my senior year. Um, thankfully, we got him before that. Um, but uh, I have seen him smile. And, uh, oh, yeah, when you get him on his boat, on his lake, Nick Saban changes. He lights up. Does he? Oh, yeah. All right. What if you were the head of the NCAA for one day? You're the, you're the head of the entire you know, collegiate sports. What would you change, if anything? I would want to go bring a bunch of the biggest companies um, that have hearts for these young people, bring them in and bring all these athletes together and, and, and not just try to get them NIL deals, but teach them, teach them about business, teach them about brand building, teach them and, and let them connect with these companies so that they can, can learn. It's not just about the finances now. It is about building a, a brand for the future for, to sustain you for the rest of your life. You know, I was blown away a couple of years ago is, is something like, you know, after NFL player retires, it's within three years, they go 80 per something close to 80 percent go broken. I was just like, you know, we got to better do a better job of not just looking at the finances now, but we got to support them for the long term. That's one of the things I, I would love to do. Bring in some of these big time CEOs to en encourage and inspire these athletes of, of all teams, um, you know, men and women to be able to 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 learn, you know, how to continue to connect with their fan bases and build their brand for 20, 30, 40 years in the future. You've got every young person in the world in a, in a coliseum or an auditorium, and Tim Tebow can speak to them, and you can give them two pieces of advice, every young person in the world. So you may have 20 pieces, but you only get to pick two. What are the two most important things you would say to young people of the world? I would say that you are so valuable that the God of this universe went on a rescue mission for you. Know your worth, know your value, and follow him. That'd be good, especially if you could get them to believe it. That'd be great. And if they follow your life, I think they're more inclined to believe it. So it's, uh, it's not just what comes out of your mouth, Tim. It is the way you have led your life. You even got an old cynic like me to finally start pulling for you. So whatever <laughs> you've done, mainly it was graduating Florida, but whatever you did after that, uh, well, the, the, the goal isn't to get him to follow my life. It's to follow his life. So No, but sometimes you're the only Jesus they see. Sometimes. The, sometimes. You know, and every, every, uh, every day we share the gospel, but every now and then we use words. Amen. Amen. Uh, I cannot. I, I love talking to you. I'm unemployed for the most part and retired, so I could sit here and talk to you all day. But you have a bunch of stuff going on. I do have to ask you one one final, final, final question. Did you think about playing baseball at Florida, or was it just not oh, yeah. an option? I 100% though. I, when I went, I thought I was going to – I almost went pro out of high school to play baseball, and then I, I, I went to, to Florida to play football, long story short. But then every year I almost went and played. And pretty much every year, you know, Urban was a very good, you know – communicator and I just was like oh, okay well you know and I just never did I, you know looking back there's a piece of me that 
I, I wish I would have. I'm just such an all-in person, and so I'm all into our team and football and everything. But there's a piece of me that sometimes I wish I would have gone to do that. I just love it so much. So Kevin O'Sullivan, is that the coach of the baseball team at Florida? O'Sullivan, yeah. I mean, he, he's, he was coach at Florida there for a good minute, yeah. Yeah, he, he had remarkable success. Uh, yes. Played for some national championships. Well, it is fun to watch uh, your life, even post-football. Um, and I can't thank you enough for what you're doing off the field. And look forward to t- visiting with you again soon. Happy Love Easter, you and your family. Same, same to you. Let's, let's do it again soon. I appreciate it. Thank you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Tim. Take care of yourself. Happy Easter. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. 